1: Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I welcome Margot van Sleitman. Margot's an award winning expressive writing teacher, Saubana restorative justice advocate, and public speaker. She's invited to teach and give talks around the globe about how therapeutic writing is a rich process which affords healing and transformation by reclaiming, respecting, and living our precious voice. She shared the stage with Dr. Gabor Mate and Sister Helen Prejean who know the healing power of writing your voice. Her books include Saubana, I See You, A Real Life Restorative Justice Story, The Other Inmate, Mediating Justice, Mediating Hope, Poetry and Workbook for Restorative Practices, Layers of Possibility, Healing Poetry from the Members of the National Association for Poetry Therapy, Dance with Your Healing, Tears, Let Me Begin to Speak, and wild self, real self. She's the founder of the Sabana Project for Living Justice and a member of the National Association of Poetry Therapy. Recently, she had a face-to-face conversation with Archbishop Emeritus Desmond Tutu in Cape Town, South Africa. Arch reminded Margot to do her walk her way, not his or anyone else's. Welcome, Margot.
2: Thank you so much, Cheryl. Happy to be here.
1: I'm happy to have you, and what a tremendous endorsement of being yourself that you got from Desmond Tutu, huh? <laughs> Which, of course, we all need, I think. Uh, so let's let's start with the begin. I guess at the beginning, um, can you talk about losing your father and and that? Um, that experience and and how that all unfolded for you to lead you here? Yes, yes.
2: My my family is from what used to be British Guyana, South America and we chose Canada for a better and safer life. And so we moved here in nineteen sixty nine and in nineteen seventy my father was shot and killed, murdered in a robbery. And I was 16 at that time, and from that time till now, my life has been a journey of and words are about to negotiate that very painful terrain of deep grief, deep loss, and a great gaping hole of being. So writing and language have saved me and have assisted me in to deal with grief,
1: mm. you know, I when I when I talk with someone who's lost a parent in that period of time, um, kind of the teen years, I guess. What always comes to my mind, of course, your your loss is especially traumatic because uh, because of um, you know him being murdered but um, there's always this sense for me that the natural flow of that time is the, the child leaving the parent, and mm-hmm. that you're sort of stopped from doing that natural process of leaving because you are left. Um, it it yeah. always impacts me very much, having, having raised people that age. Well,
2: I have... I, Of course, when my father, whose name is Theodore, was murdered, I was 16, but I am now 56. And of course, with all of my reading and studying and meeting people, I now know what a dramatic and traumatic time it was to lose my father. And in fact, I will tell you, when I was 18, I did try to kill myself and... Very shortly thereafter, I became bulimic, and I was bulimic from 18 until I was 24. And it was just excruciating. It was excruciating. There was not a context. There was not a the whole end of this English. And it wasn't for lack of people wanting to be supportive. Everything just felt destroyed. Destroyed. Destroyed.
1: And I'm assuming that you knew that all of that was connected at the time. You know, sometimes I find with people I work with, they actually don't realize that their struggles are connected to a loss, but it sounds as if you did know that. Well,
2: you're a really good question.
1: When I look back, I think
2: I knew it, but I was not thinking about it. Like, I wasn't thinking, well, Dad you know, had a bullet in his back, and then he had a bullet in his shoulder, which basically collapsed his heart and he died. I wasn't thinking about it, but I I, I just felt, I, I had a pretty good sense. I had a pretty good sense of, of, of what created that. You know, it was just um, our life. My, my life just absolutely changed. So it, it wasn't like I was thinking about it specifically. Dad was murdered, but it was just it. Uh, the way I describe it is the right side of my body lost all color, went black and died.
1: Mm. And so, what began to move you forward uh, from that from that kind of deep hole of grief, let's say, you know, uh, being being kind of drowning in it. Uh, what what began to change for you?
2: Well, it's something that became, um, I guess, brighter. I've always loved language. I've always written, always had a journal. Um, I've always read. And what started to happen was that I decided to write about my grief, to write about my anguish, to simply write. And in essence, that became... That became and still is one of my greatest allies. Pen to paper, that's what I did. And um, I will tell you what ended up happening because of that. You know, fast forward, I'm writing, and I began to um, create courses around therapeutic writing, and I received an award for one of my books. You you mentioned it, Dance With Your Healing Tears, Let Me Begin to Speak. And the man who murdered my father contacted me almost 30 years because of the award that I received, and it shifted my life in a profound and poignant way. It was shifting already during that time because, of course, it was 30 years after, but because of that, because of my therapeutic
1: writing work, he contacted me. That's I I can I can feel as we're talking the importance of the writing and all this because it it began to help you and then it led to such an unpredictable and huge event. Uh and there's, there's his part, he saw that you got the award, he contacted you, but there's your part deciding to reply. Can you talk about that some? Yes, I can. Yes, I can. From the moment
2: my father was killed, I wanted I wanted to meet the men who killed him. There were three people involved, and two of them pulled triggers. I wanted to meet them almost from the second it happened. And I wanted to meet them, not because I wanted to abuse them or harm them. I just wanted to say, please tell me why, and do you know what you did? So my writing, when the email came from Glenn Flett, my writing, I had just finished another book called Contemplative Waiting, Write, W-R-I-T-E, into the heart of your spiritual journey. I had literally just finished writing that book. Mm -hmm. And the last poem in that book is called Fire My Heart. And it was essentially a a prayer, I will say it. I was just screaming at whatever if there was a God. I, I said, all right, fire my heart. I'm so sick of carrying this grief. I don't know who you are, but I don't know if you even exist, but make something happen. Um, And essentially, I had literally published that book. I had not even had the proof in my hand yet. And the email came from uh, Glenn Flett. And I was just absolutely thrown in a whirl. Because when I was teaching and doing the therapeutic writing, actually, I was waiting for an email because I was going to give a writing retreat, lead a writing retreat at a Spirituality Center in British Columbia, and I was waiting for a response back from that center about time and logistics, etc., and that email came in, that email came in, and I thought, holy smokes, the timing was exquisite. <laughs> those,
1: those moments that some people call serendipity or, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, those convergences are um, inexplicable to me, but so profound. Those moments when that? things line up in that way, uh, and, and when you pay attention because of that, you know, well, you would have paid attention anyway, of course, because of that wish you'd always had, but I imagine it just uh, uh, was like thunderous, in terms of how it would impact you coming at that moment. It was absolutely...
2: Yeah, it was mind-blowing. I I call it my rock to the head. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, you know, so Sisyphus was rolling a boulder up and down a hill, you know? Mm -hmm. And basically, it fell on my head. And I just thought, you're kidding me. And I will tell you something else, Cheryl, that occurred... So that email came, and I was giving another writing workshop. This was in, I was living in Calgary, Alberta, at that time, and literally, you know, like three days later, I was giving, again, a, write, a therapeutic writing workshop based on my book, Dance With Your Healing, Tears Let Me Begin to Speak. I get to the workshop. It is a full, full uh, space. It was wonderful. The people were not writing, and I said, when I tell you that writing I can possibly say, I am not joking. And I said, because of my writing and because of this award, the man who murdered my father 30 years ago emailed me two days ago. A woman sitting at the back of my class put her hand up and said, Can I speak with you? I said, After class, after class, she came up to me and she said, I work at Please come and do some of this work with the fellas there. It was never in my plans to go and do therapeutic writing. It's, it's called the Revan Center. It is like a jail. It was never in my plans, ever, 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 to do that. And that was the second boulder to my head, because I had never told people why I was actually teaching and writing about therapeutic writing. I never said a boo about it.
1: Which is which is amazing, because there you were teaching writing for healing. Uh and yet your own healing was in a way to the side of it. People people didn't know that until that moment, correct? Yes. Yes. But and, yes. and what an incredible time to choose to speak that. Yes. When this was, woman was was sitting there, and uh, obviously because I know where this led to your wonderful organization, Saubana, and all the work you yes. do, um, that has become just this the center post in a way, hasn't it? Yes, and I will tell you this:
2: I when her name is Sherry Lockwood, when Sherry invited me to go to the Remand Center, I thought, oh my goodness. What pieces of writing will I use? And I thought, okay, Margaret, what if you as a victim of want to share with offenders? What do you want to say? So I went home and I wrote four poems and then which eventually became a book that I wrote called The Other Inmate, Mediating Justice, Mediating Hope, Restorative Practices. Um I I wrote four poems and I took them with me to that Remand Center and I wrote with men there and I must tell you that some of the men there told me what their crimes were. They didn't have to. Um, It was profound because some of them were, well, they were what happened to my father Mm -hmm. and I felt a deep sense of, this may surprise you perhaps, but Of gratitude and a sense of privilege because I got to sit with them and listen to them. And trust me, they listened to me, and there was a lot of crying, which there often is when I do my talks and workshops. There's a lot of opening up with people and people opening up with me. It is an absolute gift.
1: Excuse me. I, you know, I, I know some people who are working in the in the prison system here with mm-hmm. writing and meditation and healing practice, and I've heard what you just said so often from them that uh, there's something about uh, and I guess I connect it with something you talk about a lot, which is um, the meaning of so- Sobana. Uh, I may not get it, this may be a paraphrase, but kind of the spirit in me sees the spirit in you, Uh, Mm -hmm. that there are all these places across, all these kind of large bodies of water we can't bridge, and then to bridge them is quite profound, isn't it?
2: Extremely profound, and I will tell you, what what you have described, and I, I know you know this, but the spirit of me sees the spirit in you. That is, you know, Ubuntu, and of course Arch, Desmond Tutu, speaks of that. Sabona, it is is related, and it is uh, something else as well. So, I see you. It is a Zulu word. It means hello. It is a greeting. And it also means I see our shared humanity. I hear you. You hear me. It is also something else. It means, even if I see you, and you see me, and I hear you, and you hear me, we don't necessarily have to like each other. <laughs> we don't. It, it, it can happen if we really don't like each other. However, we do not harm each other, and we don't sort of one-up each other. I'm better than me because a bad person.
1: You know that... That, that message would help in the U.S. so much right now. Uh, you yes. oh, yes. <laughs> so much. Yes, yes. <laughs> when when we, we, we're, we're getting really close to a break, um, but what I really want to talk about when we come back, uh, and maybe a tiny bit before we go, is uh, how that played itself out with the man himself, who, who did murder your father, because uh, that is a particularly challenging place to come into contact, I would think, and I really want to hear a lot more about that when we get back from break. You bet. Uh, so, listeners, while, while we're on break, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America, and you can find Margo at saubana WordPress.com and Saubana is spelled S A W B O N N A. Be back soon. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice
3: America TRN.
4: Is email an important part of your business? It is for us. That's why Voice America partners with MailJet. MailJet lets us create impactful newsletters and deliver them right to the inbox fast. Microsoft, MIT, and Avis trust MailJet for their emailing, and so should you. Go to MailJet.com and use the promo code VOICEAMERICA to start emailing for free today. The future of online TV is here.
1: Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones. And I've been talking with Margot Van Sleitman about her organization, Salbana, the writing she does, and her relationship with the man who murdered her father, Glenn Flett. And before the break, Margot, I was just um, saying that this this idea of, of bridging across great difference but seeing each other uh, really touches me. And I was imagining that there must have been uh, particular challenges and wonders about doing that with this person who you were linked to by such a traumatic event by his hand. Uh, that's that's an experience very very. Um, notably unusual experience, I guess I'll say. Can you talk some about how that went between you? Yes. Yes.
2: You know, Glenn Flett contacted me almost 30 years after the bullet that he shot into my father's shoulder took his life. Almost 30 years. It's profound because I I get the sense that folks think, many, many, many people will think, you know, well, it happened, you have closure, that's great, the whole thing is done. But what what happened is we both, I mean, I researched Glenn to see what he was doing, and he mentioned the word link. He and his wonderful wife, Sherry, they started an organization quite a number of years ago called Link. Long-time mm. inmates now in community. So they wow. started an organization working with inmates who were asked to do it by the Canadian government, um, helping inmates come back into, into society. And I thought that was powerful, first of all. And when I met Glenn, well, he said, I did that, Margot. Everything I do is to honor your father. So that's one piece of it. The second thing is, when we started, uh, when the first email came, and then we started a series of emails, we were just emailing. It was a huge sense like I, 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 I was asking him many questions, and he was answering those questions, you know. Um, and then I said to him, I have to meet you. I believe, I believe that you are sorry because when the first email came in, and I just emailed, it was his wife wife's email that was used, and I said, are you married to John Glendon Flett, who murdered Theodore Van Sleitman, Easter Monday, March 27, 1978. At any rate, an email came back saying that we are sorry, saying we hope that no harm is caused, but no, no harm is caused, I will send you books for the money that you have sent to my poetry press, because they sent me a donation to my little tiny press, at any rate, and then I said, could you please ask your husband if he would give me an apology I woke up the next day to a very beautiful and poignant letter of apology. And then about a week later, I said, now I have to meet you. Now I have to meet you. And we met, we met in July of 2007. And when we met, even before we met, there was a deep sense between both of us that we were connected and that we actually liked and respected each other. And that is actually what occurred. We met We hugged, we cried, we spoke, and since that time, which is 11 years ago now, we have given talks together, we have given workshops together, we part, we do it together, and because of our meeting, um, Glenn received funding for a project they started in tandem with the Sabona Project for Living Justice. They started a farm, Cheryl, where victims, inmates, and community work
1: Head by side and uh, lips and
2: figurative
1: that's that's amazing uh, I know I watched one thing uh, a story about the two of you and I'm seeing in my head right now the image of the farm and the, the little I guess um, uh, shack kind of with your father's name over it it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a orange. It, 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 they store
2: vegetables in there, they store plants in there, and it's expanded. It's ex- So Daddy Theodore's name is dedicated to Theodore. It's beautiful, and now it's expanded
1: into a farm. You know, this is so much what the reason I'm so passionate about doing this show, honestly, because the idea that something so, so, so terrible can be can have something come out of it it doesn't take away the terrible of course but you've both really worked hard to make something of it and you've both made such beautiful things of it 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 really moves me thank you so much thank you
2: might i might i read a poem do we have time for that
1: absolutely absolutely
2: Thank you. The reason I asked if I could read this poem, and it is in my book, Sabona, I See You, a real life restorative justice story. This poem is called Quantum Compassion, and it goes like this. Quantum compassion spends its days circling my days, inducing wonderment, terrifying me yet asking me to dance it is only one story I have to tell one simple and profound truth of encounter earth shattering life shifting yes, yes, yes but only simple sharing from one short life we met eye to eye heart to heart Sabona the final word
1: Thank you for that. In reading and looking at things to prepare for today, I learned something, I guess the restorative justice movement, <laughs> that was extremely surprising to me and to which you are a contrast. Now, I don't know if restorative justice is thought of the same way everywhere, but the way I'd always thought about it is that uh, it's more like what you do with Sabana, which is um, for people to, to meet and encounter each other and um, say what they have in their hearts to say, sometimes leading t- in one direction and some another. <laughs> but... Um, I thought of it very much like you're talking about, that that you meet and see each other. But I got the impression from many things that you've uh, written and talked about that often it's a very prescribed process that really isn't about that, that is more about um, trying to impact the person who's committed a crime to not do that anymore, or very, quote unquote, criminal focused. And that really surprised me. I, I wasn't really familiar with that way of looking at it. Um, that, that's more still in the paradigm of, of maybe punishment or um, uh, consequence. Could you talk about those differences and, and how that's impacted you in, in doing the work you do?
2: Yes, yes. Restorative justice is, firstly, it is a process. Secondly, it does not have to mean meeting the person who created harm. Let's put it this way. It is a vast arena of many things. The reason why I wrote my master's, which is entitled Sabona, a real as lived experience, is because... I found it very compelling and very compelling that I will tell you, Initially, when Glenn and I met, some individuals that were, you know, funded to do restorative justice were annoyed with us because we didn't fill out the right forms. We didn't ask for permission. However, Glenn and I did our due new diligence. He researched like crazy. I researched him like crazy. He's a lifer. He has parole officers. We didn't. Blindly or from a foolish, uh, in a foolish way. I mean, Howard Zier, a Marc man, he wrote the foreword to my book, Sabona, A Real Life Resort of Does Story. He also addresses the fact that it's still offender focused. So the focus is still somehow sort of leaning in towards assisting offenders. This is a good because it is important for offenders to have support. I believe that with all of my soul. However, in a sense, like victims are still ancillary to the conversation. They're still ancillary. It is changing because there are many, many people, I've been in, I've been in this now for 11 years, the restorative justice um, conversation, if you will, and there, there's a lot more conversation around how do we get victims involved? How do we actually have it available so that they can even know that there's a different conversation that can occur. How do we even speak with them and be able to say to them, you, you are allowed to be angry, you're allowed to have your pain. You don't have to have a great big faith, and you don't have to want forgiveness, and you don't have to want kumbaya, these lovely things. <laughs> However, you know, there, there's a whole new, a different conversation that is occurring. And the reason why I wrote my master's, which I did not finish until I was 50, because I thought there's a piece missing. And there's a deep misunderstanding. Part of the work that I am doing right now is having conversations with government. So our justice minister, for example, our attorney general of our province, I'm speaking with all kinds of people to say, we need to have it in our justice. We need to have the voice of victims, if you will, articulating how it can be expanded and much more inclusive than voice. Not to negate, undermine, or take out a offender' voice, but victim strong. Glenn understood that. Sherry Edmonds Glett understood that.
1: Well, it. it um, I'm thinking as I'm as I'm listening to you about uh, two victims' voice paradigms that I see. Because, of course, given my frame of reference i'm always Mm -hmm. paying attention to uh when people have terrible losses what happens next um and of course there are people let's say your loved one is murdered there are are people who fight hard to let's say get the person who did it executed right because they think that they will feel better they yes. they they believe that will be justice, right? Mm-hmm. And then there are the people who uh, don't want to have anything to do with it. They stay really far away. And then there yes. are the people like you who would who want to meet the person and know why and and you know all these different ways to have a conversation or not um, yes. come up. And what I've noticed is that very very often when when people go for for one of a better word, reve- revenge. Mm-hmm. When it actually happens, it is not. It doesn't heal. It mm-hmm. doesn't. It doesn't feel finished. And yet, I've mm-hmm. read many, many stories where something has really moved in the kind of encounter you and Glenn had, mm-hmm. uh, where as two human beings, you ta- you you encounter each other. Um, yes. So, I, I mean, we can't make rules. Maybe for some people that, that idea of retribution does something, but I find mm-hmm. many times it does not. Is that your experience also? Yes, it's my experience, and there is something extremely, there are two
2: extremely important um, ideas that I have in relation to what you have just said, Cheryl. Firstly, I have met many victims... You know one I, uh, one particular woman we became quite good friends, and her son was murdered a beautiful, beautiful woman who does not believe in in, in um, capital punishment at all, but she also does not, she does not have a sense of what a a sabona or a mediated um, relationship with the person who murdered her son would be. But she said to me, do you know what I appreciate about you, Margot? You never say that I have to do this, this, and this. You do not prescribe to me, I must forgive, I must find Jesus, I must do whatever. You, yes. you tell me, you say to me, please look after yourself. That is the, the first piece. And the second piece is, it is important People can feel and say what they want. However, not however, along with that, our governments cannot be encouraged to support revenge and capital punishment. So even if me, as a grieving mother, would say, I want that person killed, our government should be able to say, no, we understand but we do not support that, and that is, that is a great big part of my uh, work as well. I have done work with Sister Helen Prishen, the author of Dead Man, uh, Dead Man Walking. Uh, Helen yes. and I have worked together twice, and that is an extremely important conversation. So even if you have a populist view of let's you know put them in the electric chair, let's you know, string them up, you can have those feelings, but as a society, we are not... I would argue, and that's, this is my life's work, I would argue that we cannot bow to revenge because the society itself will suffer. My, my children I, I and believe, grandchildren will suffer.
1: I do believe that's true in, in the U.S. You're in Canada. In the U.S., you know, capital punishment has been going up um, and becoming legal in places where it was not legal and I do believe that has an effect on all of us. So I agree with you. Yes. Let's, let's pick that up when we get back from our break because it's time for the second break. Uh, yes. You can find me at weatheringgrief.com or the Good Grief host page. Find Margot at saubana.wordpress.com. Back after the break.
4: Is email an important part of your business? It is for us. That's why Voice America partners with MailJet. MailJet lets us create impactful newsletters and deliver them right to the inbox, fast. Microsoft, MIT, and Avis trust MailJet for their emailing, and so should you. Go to mailjet.com and use the promo code VOICEAMERICA to start emailing for free today. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv today.
0: You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief.
1: Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Margot von Sleitman, founder of the organization Zalbana. And before the break, Margot, we were just talking about uh, you were saying. That you don't believe governments should be in the business of supporting the the desire for revenge and retribution, and um, I think I think I'm aware that you're doing some work around that. Would you like to talk about that?
2: Yes, yes. So. Glenn and I often laugh. Actually, Glenn, Sherry, and I, we are often in in touch, often in contact, and we call ourselves tag teams. So, as I mentioned, um, Glenn Glenn. and Sherry started um, a farm. It's called Emma's Acres. It was initially founded on a beautiful garden that they dedicated to my father, Theodore, where they were taking victims and inmates. Actually, firstly, it was simply inmates working together. Then it's now expanded with um, victims, inmates, and community planting literal and figurative seeds of hope and healing. So Emma's Acres, we are going to be having a long table dinner on June 26th in Mission, B.C. So that's number one. And then connected with that is, through the Sabona Project, what I do is I contact organizations, I contact our government, and speak about the importance of victim voice in being a part of affecting our justice system. So, part of what happens, and and I thank my father, I will tell you, because... The last thing I said to my father before the casket closed, I said, Dad, I promise that your death will not be for nothing. And at this part of my journey, it is not for nothing. Therefore, when I contact government officials, they have often heard this story because we have had a lot of media. And we're bridging this chasm where you would think no hope exists, I sit and I say, no, my dad was murdered. And I still support farms where victims, offenders, and community can work together. And these farms are part of a a lush and a rich justice system where it is not retributive, but where it is about resilience and restoring humanity together. So that is, I mean, as I said, we, we just... We are constantly working together, me with my writing and publications and connecting with officials and people all around the globe, and Glenn and Sherry working very hard on that farm, side by side with people who have had children murdered, people Mm -hmm. who have done some of these brutal crimes, They're working together to build possibility, to build possibility, bridging chasms of where you would think, no, that's not possible. It
1: yes. is possible. You know, I one of one of the uh, one of my emblematic ideas about about a different way to do justice. Uh, a friend told me about a group of people somewhere in the world and I I haven't been able to figure out who or where but you probably know who when someone harms in some way whatever the way is up to and including murder um, they're they're brought into the circle of their community and told by each person why they matter and um, why they're important as part of the community and when that process is complete they're welcomed back in Uh, and that is such a radically different notion than the way that we do it which is to shame and blame people that are probably already in a lot of shame and blame um, and kind of escalate the problem as opposed to um, addressing the problem uh, and, it, and it sounds to me like this farm project does that in a way, makes each member important in the fabric of a community experience. And that is
2: what is crucial. You know, one of the things that I used to worry about was that because Gwen and I have met, we have shared authentic and powerful healing and we've become friends very like good friends i used to worry thinking that oh my goodness everyone that had the experience that i had of my father being murdered would think that that's what had to happen you know that's what had to happen no of course it cannot always happen and that is not required however the sense of possibility from i suppose a a surrogacy of healing a surrogacy that 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 people could look and they could say, oh my goodness, this happened to Margot Van Sleitman and Glenn Flett. Wow, then there is a possibility that, oh, I can't do that. They might not be able to. Oh, but wait a second, they've got this farm. And they are actually of hope and yes. healing. Things are sprouting. Life is sprouting. <laughs> there is rain. There are, you know, tears. Yes. There is like yeah, something really powerful, where people like to say. Because often victims, we are treated like pariah, I will tell you. Mm. We are pariah. People don't know what to say. And in the case of my father, you know, Glenn said this. He said when he, when he first started to serve time, people thought my father was an idiot. And he got what he deserved.
1: Oh, oh how, how heartbreaking.
2: Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Mm. But I know my dad's last words from Glenn, and I must tell you, to have learned those 30 years after my dad said them, I will never let my dad down, ever, ever, ever.
1: I feel we have to, maybe uh, before we leave for today, talk about timing too, because to me, what was possible between you and Glenn has a lot to do with the space of time that you had lived to come to that moment, where, as far as I can tell, you were both actively trying to grapple with what had happened. Do do you think so as well? I absolutely do. And it's funny because today I went for a very, very long walk. And I
2: thought, you know, it's interesting because folks might assume that when something brutal happens, that a decision about what to do can happen right away. Glenn and I were walking the same trajectory, quite frankly. And, you know, this is is 40 years later. He contacted me, you know, almost 40 years after. The fact of the time and how closure for me has not been a closing down. It's an opening up. It's been a beautiful opening up because I'm I'm, I'm a grandmother. I'm an older person that's been living since I was 16 to now. And I will be taking it to my grave of time unfolding, of watching and being open to possibility of having rich support from community, from family, from friends, from literature, you know. And Glenn, the same. When he was inside and, you know, he said one of his wardens said to him, What are you doing? You are this beautiful man that's just like messing with your life. What are you doing? That warden helped that man to get to a place of saying, you know what? Oh, my God. And and I must relate this to my dad's last words. Glenn told me what my father said. Theodore, he said, took him by the shoulders, not grabbed him. He took him by the shoulders and looked at him and said, give it up, son. It's not worth it. You know, to have those words digest through me and my soul and my body and for Glenn to know those words, over time they have become mantras of beauty and possibility. You know, brutality isn't worth it. Humanity is worth it via the lens of Sabona, shared and sharing humanity.
1: The other thing that really stands out in what your father said is that he was himself trying to connect with Glenn as a human being. Human being, yeah. a human being. The, to me, the seeds of what you've done are contained in what he did in that most must have been such a terrifying experience, yeah? But under yes. that terror that's what came out of your father. Yes, and you know
2: that affected that, that go It affects him every single day. And to me, it is a legacy. It is a legacy and I am absolutely grateful. And you know, Emma's acres and that lovely garden also that was dedicated to Theodore. My father was a gardener and mum too, my mom is. You know, they planted seeds. And the fact that it is from seeds, you know, life comes from seeds. It is a profoundly poetic and poignant actualization and, and a lived experience of justice, you know, with Dad's last words that Glenn remembered, and I was able to share those words with my family. I, I have such gratitude because the seed
1: planting continues every single day every day well you know that that reminds me of of a uh, of a quote that my daughter quoted in a play she did they they tried to bury us they didn't know we were seeds
2: Ah, I love that. I I read that two or three months ago, and
1: I thought I love it. It, It's so profound, isn't it? Yes, thank you. (laughs) So profound. um, I love it in so many contexts, but this one uh, because, of course, I wanted to talk much more about uh, something that is so pivotal in the U.S. and I don't know whether it is in Canada, which is imprisonment, crime, imprisonment, and and race um, because it, it really is there's such a strong connection here in terms of who ends up being imprisoned mm-hmm. uh, who ends up turning to crime be, largely because of lack of options and, and traumatic history you know and so I keep thinking about that in terms of your work that this this idea that we can meet as humans and and have some sense of compassion for other people 's experiences it 's so powerful to me it
2: is, and I will tell you something this is this is profound profound so Glenn is from quite a well off family he is, he is a white man from a well off family. <laughs> My family are immigrants and we're rolling in it, let's just put it this way. And that is not lost on me, the profound irony of that. And it does not negate anything from Glenn or Margot at all, but it, it turns the story on its head and also gives another in to possibility. It is fascinating to me. And that is another reason I love language, literature, story, plays, so very, very, very much. Because you must scratch beneath the surface to find our sabona. We can find it.
1: We can find it. I, f- I feel there's a, you know, even if we're talking about... Harms that are not crimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm thinking of all the couples I work with in therapy. Lots of oh, harms yes. that are not criminal. Yes. And the idea that the way through is really to recognize, to see the other person, uh, regardless of how hard it is to let down your guard to do that. It, it has such a profound... Um, potential influence when we can do that. I, I feel it's the heart of of any, um, any repair between people to be able to see that the other person is s- struggling and has their own uh, reasons for doing what they do. And, you know, <laughs> it, it's kind of bedrock, isn't it? It is.
2: It is, I think that, I mean, I I go back to this very important thing. I really think that what ends up happening with people in relation to restorative practices, for example, is that people feel that somehow we have to like each other, and we have to really somehow feel that I I must like you before I can actually care about your well-being. I would suggest that you do not have to. I would suggest that you do not have to. And the reason I say that is because often in, in you know, like victims in restorative justice, we are often invited to be involved because we look like we're so adorable and nice and great, and la-la-la, especially <laughs> me and others who have shared powerful um, connecting, you know, with, with the person yes. who caused the harm. My argument continues to be, and my belief continues to be, that... It is destructive to say that unless, you know, you like that person, then you can't actually care
1: about that person. Margo, that is a beautiful, that's a beautiful place to stop. We've run out of time, but I think that's a great place to end. Next week, I'll have Dan Diaz. He and his wife, Brittany Maynard, moved to Oregon from California so that Brittany could access the Oregon Death with Dignity Act at the end of her life. Mm -hmm. Dan's work after her death was instrumental in the passage of a similar law in California. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief.